Good morning, everybody. Thrilled that you're here. We're making our countdown towards Christmas. We're not allowed to play Christmas music until Friday. I'm kidding. Calm down. I'm just trying to rile you up. All right? Some of you have been doing it since August. God bless you and keep you, and you're already bored because it's all the same thing. All right, now that I've made you mad, uh, we really do want to see you tonight for our Seek Night. If you haven't been, uh, it's intentional space to listen, and so it's a lot of worship. There's not a teaching per se, but we're going to spend real time in a guided way trying to hear what God would have to say to us from Scripture uh, by the way of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that together and pray together. And if you want to spend extended time just pausing and getting your Thanksgiving week oriented properly, I would highly recommend you coming tonight. This is supposed to be a week where we stop and reflect and give thanks. And we know that the culture just pushed us to shop, shop, shop till you drop, drop, drop. And there's nothing wrong with the sale, but there is something wrong with Thanksgiving being shortened because we want to consume. So why don't we do this? Let's all of us come back and purposely say, God, we want to be here in your presence just because you're amazing. And give thanks for what he's done so far and listen to what he might want to do ahead. I encourage you to be here uh, at 6 o'clock. All right, we're in a series on the Holy Spirit. And with that, we've invited you to ask questions every week. And some of you have done that. Thank you for doing that. You can continue to do that all throughout the series. I want to hit a couple and then we're going to look at uh, Jesus and his anointing by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Two that I want to talk about today that have been uh, written in the last week and a half. First one, this is a a really good one. If you've experienced the Holy Spirit on a personal level for many years, but now experience silence, how do you reconnect? Or, and this is a really good question, why are you experiencing silence in the most trying time of your life? And uh, I think many of us can relate to that, right? We've had this closeness with God, but in this moment where it seems like God is most needed, God seems most distant. Uh, I would just say uh, to the person who wrote and to all of us, let's not settle for short, quick, glib, pat answers. There are things we just don't understand and know, but we ought to ask. So I'm so glad that we're in a space where we can be open and invite God to, uh, to deal with us when we don't know where he is. Here's, uh, with all these questions, I just try to look to the Bible. Here's one truth that I think might be helpful. John 14, and we're going to look at this come January in detail. Uh, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Sometimes we don't feel the closeness of God. We don't experience the closeness of God in our emotions or in our, in our thinking. Sometimes because we're misaligned with God in our behavior, in our life. Not always. But the first thing I want to check in my life, if God seems distant, is where am I with obedience with what I know to be true? Are there some alignments that I need to realign with the way of Jesus? Uh, It's possible for us to quench the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Uh, We could ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, So that's one place to start. But then look at the promise. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But Jesus says, you know him for he lives with you. And this is before his death and resurrection. And he says, in the future, he will be 
in you. So here's the reality. When we're struggling and God seems distant, Jesus promised that we'll never be alone. Never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. And when you receive Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes and dwells within you. Yet sometimes the reality of his presence seems distant in our mind, in our emotions. So sometimes there's silence and we just don't know why. Sometimes there's silence or distance because our behavior's off. So this is how I would check myself. God, am, am I quenching you in any way? Is there any unconfessed sin in my life in any way? Has there been neglect in any way? I want to start with that. But even in that, you could have all of that in the right and he could still feel far. Uh, and that's just part of the reality. So here's my word of encouragement. Keep going. Keep pressing in. The temptation will be is when God seems distance, distant to shrink back. So I would, I would just say to, to all of us, when we're in these seasons and they do come to everyone, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, over the last three weeks, God has seemed distant to me. And it'd be easier, like, get three guest preachers because, oh, I just don't feel his nearness and his closeness as often I do. But I've walked with Jesus long enough to realize feelings are real, but feelings aren't final and feelings aren't the only thing. And so that's not necessarily an encouragement, but I, I, I could say I'm preaching this morning and God does not seem close in my emotion, but I know he's here and I know he's working and I know he's in you, and I know he's in me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my whole self to God and not pretend. So that's a great question. And I'm not going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to say, God, I'm here. Whether I feel you or not, I know your promise is true. You said the Spirit would be in me and my advocate. Whatever I need from the Father and from the Son would be made available. So this is, this is how we want to walk when we're in seasons of silence. I hope that makes sense as an encouragement to you. Uh, second one is more big picture. It says, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the new heavens and new earth? So the Spirit has been there since the creation or before the creation of the world. The Spirit is eternal. The Spirit has always been God, always will be God. And we know that as we see in the Bible that his role has been shaped over time in different ways. Before the coming of Jesus, he would come upon and empower and then he fully comes on Jesus, and now we're going to see in these next few weeks that he's now fully on and in us. But what about the future? The answer is, I have no idea. I, uh, the Bible doesn't seem to say, and I really started to look, what is the Spirit doing when Jesus says he's going to return and make the world new, and we're going to live with the Lord forever? Here's what I know, uh, and it's all throughout the Bible. We are going to worship God fully in ways that we are not worshiping now, because we're going to be with him and be made like him, eternal. We're going to live forever in these bodies made new. Uh, what will the Spirit do? I don't know in particular. Here's what I do know, the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, 17. It's the last instance where we see the Spirit, and it's a few verses before the end of the entire Bible. Look at what we know the Spirit doing. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come and let the one who's thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So the Spirit is the inviter and the Spirit is inviting us into the life of God. So what that looks like when we're all 
uh, living in this world made new? I have no idea in particular, but I could see the Spirit inviting us, take, enjoy, it's yours, come on, you're a part of the party. Other than that, I'd be making it up. And I won't, okay. That's that on the questions, and keep them coming, and we want to do that every couple of weeks, just answer a few, because if it's important to you, it's probably important to someone else. All right, let's uh, pray, and we'll jump. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Luke 4, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Lord, thank you that we could bring all of our questions and concerns to you. Thank you that we could bring our highs to you. We could bring our lows to you. Wherever we go, we know you already are. And so, Holy Spirit of God, because Jesus promised you would live in us and you would advocate on our behalf. God, whatever we're going through, whatever we need to learn, whatever we need to be reminded of, whatever we need to be shaped by, Holy Spirit of God, as these words go out to everyone, would you take these words, the words of the Bible, and implant them deeply into each heart and mind and soul so that we'll live like you, Jesus, that we'll love you by obeying your commands, that we'll love you by how we live on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and we'll love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, what did we learn so far about the Holy Spirit? Uh, We saw clearly that the Spirit is working in the birth of Jesus. Remember, we're looking at, at the Spirit and Jesus over these last few weeks. He's working at this, uh, in Jesus' coming, in Jesus' birth, Jesus is born by the Holy Spirit, and then he grows, and interestingly, he comes on Jesus in a powerful way when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in water. The Spirit descends like a dove and remains, John tells us, remains on him. Something real happens. So it's not like the Spirit was not involved in the life of Jesus, Because his very conception is by the Spirit. But when the Spirit comes on him, he's now empowered to do what he was not doing prior. And and what's the first thing that the Spirit empowers Jesus to do? Is to be tested and tempted. And so Jesus is out in the desert and we saw that Jesus, who is a man just like us. When we look at what we're going to see today, here's what I need us to get in our brain. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He never stops being God. But Jesus voluntarily limited himself while he was a man. Uh, Jesus is tired. Is God ever tired? No, but Jesus is tired. So is he not God anymore? Of course he's God, but he voluntarily limits his godness, that's not a word, but he limits his abilities to experience life as a very real man. Jesus is hungry. Jesus learns. <laughs> it's in the Bible. He grew in wisdom, which means he didn't, he didn't access everything he could access. Why? Because we are to call to follow Jesus who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is doing his work. Yes, he's the son of God, so he's unlike us, perfect in every way, unlike us. He could be our sinless sacrifice. He could be our representative. Hallelujah for that. That's so important. But what we need to remember when we think about life in the Holy Spirit now for us is Jesus lived the Spirit-filled life. He moved, he taught, he worked by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Write this down. It's the message summarized today. You can take a nap afterwards and we'll wake you up at the end. God calls us 
to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this in the life of Jesus, and we want to see this played out in our reality in growing measure. God calls us to live empowered by the Spirit. How do I know this? Let's just pick up where we were last week, Luke 4, and we'll start in verse 13 where we ended. It says, When the devil had finished all his tempting, the devil left him until an opportune time. So the enemy is coming again and again and again to try to keep Jesus from fulfilling his mission. And then verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in, notice the phrase, the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And, and we'll read what he read, which is Isaiah 61. But before we do it, I think it's just a good reminder. Jesus is empowered by the Spirit. And what does an empowered by the Spirit person do? As was his regular custom, Jesus spends every Sabbath day with God's people in worship. This seems like small, but it's actually massive in our cultural moment. Jesus, being in his very nature God. Jesus Filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, where do you find him on the Lord's day? You find him with God's people. And what would they do? They would start by reading the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Worship him only. And Jesus is there, submitting himself to the love of the Father with God's people. And then they would read from the first part of the Bible, the first five books, and they would read from the Torah. What, what did God tell Moses and God tell the people? And then there would be a reading from the prophets, and various people would read, and in between there would be prayers, and there would be psalms sung, and in the end there would be prayer. And someone would teach based on the reading from the Torah, the first five books, and from the prophets. And it's Jesus' turn. He's a traveling preacher. He's respected. He knows the Bible well. And, and this is beautiful. The people got a glimpse of who Jesus really is. Where did they get that glimpse? Where do they get it? They're in the synagogue together worshiping. And there are things that God wants to illumine our minds through. There are things he wants to teach us. There are things he wants to show us. And it happens when we regularly pursue him. I think they're probably shocked at what they got revealed to them. Let's just read, continue. What does Jesus read from Isaiah? And then what does he say? Verse uh, 18. He says, where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down when you were in the synagogue, the, the, the rabbi would sit to teach. So you stand and you read the, the scrolls, the Bible, and then you sit down and you teach. And all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying what no one else had the guts to say. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and he was amazed at the gracious words that came down 
from his lips, and they go on. And, and what Jesus does is here he says, uh, you've been reading, and God's people have been reading Isaiah's scroll for 700 years. But now, today, here's what you get a glimpse of. What God, by the Holy Spirit, told Isaiah the prophet 700 years ago about this one who was to come, who would be anointed by the Spirit. Uh, today's the day, friends. Today, like you came to church on the right day. You get insight into what no one else has seen. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. I am the one that the Spirit of God, who's hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation, who's coming upon God's people to do God's work, who's now come like a dove on me. And, and now you need to know I'm the one that Isaiah was talking about. Now, how do we know that they got what he meant? If you keep reading, you realize they start saying, isn't this Joseph's boy? Who is this kid? Who does he think he is? And they take him to the edge of the town and try to throw him off a cliff. Because in their mind, this is blasphemy. You are the answer? Like, we know where you come from. We know your mom. We, we know your family. Who, who do you think you are? But, but Jesus clearly says, the Spirit has empowered me to do a few things. What's the Holy Spirit doing in the life of Jesus? Here's what I want to see in our time together. What's the Spirit doing in Jesus in this moment? And then we want to look and see, okay, if that's what he's doing in Jesus, where does that fit with what the Spirit of God wants to do in us, Jesus' people? The key is, verse 18, look at it again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And so um, Jesus pulls on a word that was used throughout the Bible, and he uses it to describe what the Holy Spirit was going to do on him, and that is he's going to be anointed. Now, what, what is that all about, anointing? It's a real churchy word. Well, if you trace it throughout the Bible, you know it's a visual word. Um, when God had established a place of worship, the tabernacle, where they were to construct in the desert, which eventually becomes permanent when they make it into Jerusalem and becomes the temple, the place where you worship God, the articles that go in it, the table and the candles and the things that are going to stand or sit or be used in God's presence, they were first to be anointed. And so oil would be put over these articles and it was a visual to say, this isn't an ordinary table. Yes, it's a table. But this table is set apart for God's use. This is a candle. There are candles outside of the tabernacle. There are candles in your house. Oh, no, no, no. But this candle and this plate and these items, they're not ordinary. They're set apart for God's use. They have special purpose. And with that, you want to respect what God has set apart to be using God's way. And then you fast forward when uh, priests were going to be dedicated to serve in God's house, in the tabernacle, in the temple, before they begin to serve, what happens to them? Aaron the priest and his descendants after him are to anoint the priests with oil, and it's an external symbol, oil on the head. Why? This person is a person, but they're set apart to God's special use. And with that comes rights and responsibilities. And then later, Samuel the prophet uh, when the people ask for a king, Samuel is told by the Spirit to anoint Saul with oil. 
And what is, again, it's going, this table is for God's use. This house is for God's use. Uh, these priests are for God, God's use. This king is going to be for God's use. And then David, after him, when Saul fails, you, you pour oil on the head as a sign and a metaphor that God's chosen this person, this article, this thing for his special use. So, so here's, here's what Isaiah is pointing towards. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit set apart for God's use. Now what's, what's Jesus' specific mission? What's God's use? The table was for a place of worship. The tent was for a place of worship. But what in particular is Jesus anointed, set apart by God, to do? And remember, the outward sign, the oil, was a symbol that God had called them and empowered them to the use. So it's not like I anointed myself. That would be inappropriate. No, God set this thing, God set this person apart. And so God the Father had set apart Jesus for some specific use. And, and this is important because it's going to tie with you. And I want to suggest that you have been set apart by God, just like Jesus has been set apart by God. And so we want to think of Jesus' people. Wow, what was Jesus set apart to do? And then if Jesus says, you and I are going to continue that work, it would be helpful to know what kind of work we're set apart to do. Well, we see it at the rest of, of verse 18. He's anointed Jesus to do what? To proclaim good news of the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the Holy Spirit is going to empower this servant that Isaiah is prophesying about, who is Jesus, to do these unique things. Okay, so does Jesus, those of us who know the Bible, does he live into his calling, his anointed, set-apart task? Well, actually, yes, he does. You just keep reading. Just jump down to verse uh, 33. Okay, verse 33 of Luke 4 says, In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And just in case you didn't know what a demon was. I love this. Luke's like just saying, for those who are reading, if you don't know what a demon is, it's an impure spirit. He uh, cried at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? So there's not just one, there's multiple. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before all of them and came out without injuring him. And I love the next verse. All the people were amazed. Duh. This would blow your mind. They were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding areas. So um, Luke reminds us, this isn't random. What Jesus is doing isn't random. And I want to suggest what Jesus is doing isn't because he's God. Yes, he is the Son of God. But what Jesus is doing is because he is a man empowered by the Spirit to fulfill his mission. So yes, he is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is God. Absolutely, that never ends. 
But we saw in the baptism, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus to empower Jesus to live the Spirit-filled life. And what does the Holy Spirit, this, is, this seems base and basic, but what does the Holy Spirit long to do in the world that we live in? Well, to bring people from captivity to freedom. Now, now we have to remember that when people get together in a building, it doesn't mean they have it all together and that their lives are just filled with God's power and presence. No, there are other powers at play. Where does this happen? Jesus is in a synagogue. I want us to catch this. Jesus is in the place where God is worshipped. And what's happening in the place where God is worshipped? Evil spirits are tormenting people. So let's reawaken our imagination to remember right now God is at work in our lives and there are impure spirits and there are evil powers and the devil, according to Jesus, came, the thief, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you'd have life and life that's abundant, life filled with God's presence. But where, where people are, there's all sorts of things going on that we cannot see. All we see is behavior. All we see are the results of choices. What we do not see with our human eyes is what the Bible describes as principalities and powers and good and evil, angelic, beautiful, God-ordained activity in the lives. There are angelic powers that are keeping us from all sorts of stuff we will never see. Protection. I mean, Hebrews later tells us angels are ministering spirits sent to those who can inherit eternal life. So God is at work on your behalf when you don't even know it. This is good news. But at the same token, there are other forces at play. Now, in every part of the world outside of educated Western civilization, people get that as no-brainer. We, who have been taught that everything that is tangible, touchable, tasteable, is real, and everything that is not, is probably like before the scientific era where people were dumb. But now that we're smart, we realize that powers were just people's way to explain away forces that they didn't understand. But now we know it's DNA, and now we know it's this, and now we know it's that, and people are still living oppressed lives. We just have different names for it and different coping mechanisms, and, and different ways to approach what we don't understand. I'm just here to tell you, Jesus is anointed, set apart by God, by the Spirit of God, to set people free from whatever junk's coming their way. This is, this is like so good. Some are not yet convinced. All right, let's keep going. Verse 38. So that's one encounter. What does Luke say next? Uh, Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and he rebuked the fever. And it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. And at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them 
and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. So, so Jesus, and then he, and he keeps going. At daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him, and they went out to where he was, and they tried to stop him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was, notice, sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues in Judea. So what is Jesus anointed to do? Very basic and fundamental, but if we don't understand the nature of what Jesus has come to do, it's going to be near impossible for us to think as a church, what are we called to do in Jesus' name? Three things that we see Luke tell us in these texts that all tie in to this promise from Isaiah about the coming Messiah. Three things Jesus is doing. There's more, but at least we see three. First thing is proclaim good news. So Jesus himself links uh, his ministry and his preaching with his anointing from the Spirit. So the Spirit of God has come on him and has given him the ability to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. So filled with and dependent on the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes out and he's sharing good news and and he spends the next few years teaching in their synagogues and in homes and in marketplaces. And he's telling people the good news. Oh, is he making the stuff up? No. Jesus is reciting the Bible and making the connections to say that what God had promised, he's now fulfilling. Everything God had been saying, he's now saying, now it's going to come to pass. And we are told by Luke, and don't forget it, underline it, Jesus comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. So empowered by, by, sent by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, Jesus the Son is, is saying there's good news, there's, there's rescue for anyone in trouble and turmoil, God's kingdom has come to you. Second thing that we see, this is the one we feel uncomfortable with at times, but we see it clearly in Jesus, he came to release people from evil powers. We've seen it already just twice in these examples that, that Jesus removed evil from people's lives. And sometimes it's violent behavior that they're enacted in and he release, releases these powers and they're in their sane mind. Other times, strangely enough, they're sick and the root of it is evil powers. Um, now, how did Jesus cast out demons? He told them to leave. He told them to be quiet. Now, but what empowered him to do it? In in, in another occasion, Jesus is mocked by these teachers of the law, and they say, and this came to the question about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they say Jesus is casting out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus is doing this work, but it's hocus pocus. He's actually using evil power to do a show and tell on people. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 12, 28, I won't put it on the screen, I'll just quote it. It is by the Spirit of God, this is quoting Jesus, it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. And if that happens, the kingdom of God, the good reign of God has come upon you. Now we have to remember Jesus is able in a moment, in a crowd, to discern what's happening. He's able to see what we can't see. He's able to discern what we often can't discern. Why is it that people are struggling? Struggling. So Jesus proclaims good news, and that's great. Freedom has come. God's promise of a deliverer 
rescuer has come, Jesus says, uniquely, and this is one we shouldn't take on ourselves, it's in him, right? <laughs> hey, salvation comes through me. Lightning strike, gone, over. You know, that's uniquely in Jesus. The Spirit of God has come upon him to go to the cross, to rescue us from our sin, absolutely. But it's by the Spirit of God, Jesus says, that I, Jesus, cast out demons. Again, we've got to, for some of us, it's like this is like new thought patterns because we have just assumed it's Jesus who's God who's doing the God stuff. And, and again, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that Jesus is anything less than God, right? And we know that God can do anything, can he? Absolutely. But it's, it's the Bible that uniquely tells us how. And it is God, the Holy Spirit, working in and through the Messiah, Jesus, that people are set free from evil powers. The third, again, makes us feel more and more uncomfortable for some, excited for others. Uh, the third thing is he came to heal and perform miracles. The third thing you see Jesus doing is healing and performing miracles by the power of the Spirit. This is the pattern in all of the Gospels. And so much so that later Jesus goes to the cross, pays for our sin, he rises again on the third day, and he appears to his disciples, and he's sending them out, and he says, now go and proclaim this good news. Do what I've been doing. Remember, what is a disciple? A disciple who is, is someone who is with Jesus, a disciple who is someone who is becoming like Jesus, and a disciple is someone who does what Jesus did. This is what followership, discipleship, coming under the leadership of Jesus is all about, is that we, we're with him. So his disciples were with him. They become like him. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he sends out the disciples, the 12, and even the 70, and he says, do what I've been doing. And they came back and they reported, demonic powers came out in your name. And Jesus reminded them, great, great, great. Oh, calm down. Don't get puffy. Don't get puffed up. Uh, just be grateful that your names are written in the book of life. Be grateful that you belong to me. But Jesus used his disciples in the same thing he was doing before he went to the cross. But then when he rises again and Peter is preaching to a Jewish community, I want you to read uh, or hear or see what Jesus himself says. Acts 10, verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. Quote, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And so what, what Peter does is just summarizes everything Jesus had been telling his followers is that God wants to rescue people, and that's why Jesus came in the first place, and that's why Isaiah was given that insight into the coming of Jesus, is because people are oppressed by the enemy of God, or the enemies of God. But God came to set us free, and he did it by sending his son, right? And it was his son, Jesus, anointed by the Spirit of God, who had the ability to proclaim good news and to help 
cast out evil powers, and to heal and do miracles. Okay, so all that is probably not news, except maybe the nuance of the source of Jesus' power, which is the Holy Spirit. Well, let's now look at our lives. Okay, why does this matter? The same Holy Spirit is at work in Jesus' followers after Jesus' death and resurrection. And this is all over the Bible. Jesus, before he ascends, in Acts 1, tells his followers, on one occasion, while they were eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water in a few days. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Spirit. They don't know exactly what this means. So he says to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you see a similar statement at the end of Matthew where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded with you commanded you, and I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. You see in Matthew's gospel, you see now in Luke's writing in Acts, that Jesus is sending out his people. But what we sometimes forget is that he's sending us to do what he was doing. And this is where, for some, we become uncomfortable. Like, I have no problem saying, Jesus, um, you do this stuff. What can, can be challenging for us is to realize, what's the stuff? Well, he wants to use us to proclaim good news to people that they could be set free and live for God. And at the same token, he wants to use us because we're the people he's deputized and said, I want to continue to do this work. I want people to be set free. How am I going to do it? Well, remember, Jesus did it, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he is not asking you and I to do stuff in our earthly human power. He's not asking us to do stuff that we feel like we're capable of doing. Rather, Jesus is saying to his disciples who are with him, who are becoming like him, that you can, you can follow in the footsteps and be useful to God in people's lives. A little reminder, when you look at the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit shows up 59 times. In 36 of the 59 It's the Holy Spirit speaking through someone good news. Most of the time that you see the Holy Spirit show up in the book of Acts, it is through someone being used in the power of the Spirit to proclaim good news of God's liberty to people. So the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus is now empowering Jesus' people to share the good news and release people from evil powers and, and healing. Now, uh, I'll give a little um, rebuttal to what some of us default into, whether we think we're doing it or not. We, we often say is, wow, well, thank God we didn't live back then. Because back then, like, people had demonic activity and oppression, and people, like, needed healing. And we'll, we'll, we'll do this. We'll say, because, man, thank God all that medicine that we have today isn't, wasn't 
back then. So God was generous enough, but, but now he's given us doctors and medical advances, and he's given all sorts of technologies, and he's given us therapy. So now we know, like back then they needed that, but now we don't need that because God's replaced it. We often don't say that. But when we think functionally, how we operate is, oh, wow, man, I, I hear that challenge. And, and I want to say this in the most respectful way. Our default mode is to say, well, let me give you the number of the email of this fantastic therapist because they can help you work that through. And we ought to thank God for every woman and man he's used for every medical technology and every advance in science, this is a gift of God. People didn't just figure this stuff up. This is the wisdom of God that's come to women and men to be able to be agents of healing. We thank God for counseling and therapy and all of the tools that God's given us to understand who we are and how we operate and how liberty and freedom can happen. And it can happen through all of those means. But we can make the mistake of saying, that those things are the healer and not give credit to God. And actually, if we're being honest, not even thinking first of coming to God and saying, God, will you be God in them? And so what we want to do as Jesus' people, and so uh, I'm laying this out. We're going to pick up it on January. Next week, we're going to start our Advent series, and we're going to look at the Advent and the coming of Jesus and hope and love and joy and peace that comes through him. So we'll put a pause button on this after today, and we'll pick up on it in January. But we need to be reminded that people are still in need of being set free by the good news of Jesus. And that apart from the good news of Jesus, all we are is putting Band-Aids to massive gaping holes in our soul. Apart from forgiveness of sin that comes in and through Jesus, there is no hope for eternal life. There's no hope. Now, there could be a better life on earth, and I'm all for a better life on earth, but if we want people to experience the abundant life that Jesus is talking about, it's only in and through being reconciled to God by the power of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of good news, and that's supposed to happen, friends, through us. Not a few designated representatives who go on stages, but every single one of us, they went throughout the towns and villages, and most of the people preaching in and around the time of Acts are not just the apostles, but if you read history well, you realize it is the nameless, faceless Christians who, for whatever reason, whether it was their job or persecution or famine, went from town to town and spoke the name of Jesus. Most of the people who came to faith in the early days wasn't just from a few apostles preaching. Of course, the representatives were preaching, but it was everyone hearing good news and sharing good news. And we want to be awakened to the reality that we've been invited to share good news with other people, and this is what we want to grow into. The second thing is people are still being blindly guided by demonic powers that need to be liberated by hearing God's voice. And we need to be reawakened to the spiritual reality that we are dealing with forces that are unseen and real, yet Jesus has come and defeated all the powers on the cross. They've all been defeated. They have no victory. The only victory they have is the victory that a person gives them over their life. Jesus truly has come to set his people free. And so what would it look like if we awaken to the fact that God wants to use every one of us in normal, ordinary ways 
to be useful in whatever freedom someone needs to experience. And the people are living with all sorts of brokenness that Jesus' healing touch can care for, which is why. James, the brother of Jesus, says to the church, is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Will the elders raise him up? No. The Lord will do it. And, and we just want to remind ourselves that this anointing that's on Jesus, this anointing that's on the Son of God, Jesus is the one who commissioned his disciples to go under that same anointing and covering. We're not doing greater work than Jesus. We're continuing the work that Jesus did in greater ways. Why? Because there's more of us. Jesus is only in one place at one time in mostly the land of Israel, and that's it. But Jesus foretold that his resurrection it would be a greater thing that he goes to the Father and sends the Spirit because now Jesus' work can happen on every continent at all times in simultaneous fashion because God's presence is with his people. All right. I know that's a lot to swallow in various backgrounds that we come from. Some of us are saying, okay, yes, thank you for the reminder. Others are like, like I don't know if I'm ready to walk in that kind of pattern of life. And and that's okay. Wherever we're coming from, what we agreed upon in the beginning of this series is that we're going to listen to what the Holy Spirit does and learn together, okay? And so two things I want to land on, and we want to think about this. I want to invite you to come back for Seek Night. We're going to have these regular times together where we're not talking about what God wants to do, but we're inviting God to be God among us. Um, two questions. Where do you need God's touch? Uh, Jesus came to release people from whatever was happening. And we know that we could be released from our sin and guilt and shame because Jesus died and rose again. So maybe it begins there. Maybe you need God to come and rescue you and make you right. And as the Bible says, renew your spirit and in your soul be born again. That's a great place to start. But we come in with all sorts of needs. And so this ought to be the safest place for us to be real about what's going on and say, God, would you be God in my life? And we would invite you, uh, what's the action step? Today, in response, and we have this every week, because every week that we gather, we have needs. So we want to pray for one another, as the Bible tells us, pray one for another, that, that, that you'll be set free. And so we want to do that. I would invite you, if there's something going on in your life, you need prayer for any reason. Uh, there's an issue going on, and you may not even know what the source of it is. It doesn't matter. We want to pray God's goodness, God's blessing, God's liberty over your life. So when people go to get communion, I'm going to invite you just to go out in the back. Our prayer team will be there to pray for you. Second question is equally important. What does the Spirit want to do through you? Maybe part of your response today is to say, God, I'm open to being useful in whatever way you think is best in my life. And as we're going to see in our talk through the Holy Spirit and his empowerment in January and February and March, it's realize it's not cookie cutter. He empowers us in different ways. And it's not going to look the same for you as it is for me and the person next to you. And this is never about who's got the best empowerment or the least empowerment. 
Those are foolish, immature conversations. But God's designed the entire body to be empowered by the Spirit to be useful in any way God designs. And so maybe, maybe now we ought to be asking God, how do you want to work in and through me? We're all going to see people this afternoon and tomorrow. God, how do you want to use me to bring good news to them? Remember, Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, set apart to do God's work, and we have now been anointed by the very same Spirit to do God's work. And this is an area we want to grow in, uh, not for our good, by the way. The whole thing, the whole reason God's doing this is because Jesus came to set people free who were in real bondage to the work of the enemy. And so know this, God puts us all in places where there's brokenness for reasons that are beyond us. And so all he wants to do is for his kids, awaken us to the reality is wherever we go, the spirit of God is there. And where the spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says there's liberty, there's freedom. And it could be that God puts us in these very places to be the agent to speak freedom into people who are being bound. What would it look like if we all said this was the normal Jesus life? Not just for a few, but for all of us. I think it would be a different city. We'd be a different church. And we would see things happen that give glory to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Lord, we now, some with fear and trembling, we invite you to move. Holy Spirit of God, thank you that you gave Jesus the ability to discern what was happening in the moment and to speak truth to situations that would lead to liberty where people who are broken, whether it was by physical or demonic or evil activity, they left liberated from your presence, free to worship, free to enjoy life the way you intended. God, will you bring that freedom in this place? Will you work in our hearts? And Lord, we even say by faith, will you work through us we pray for the good of others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.